his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Good evening, folks. 807 in the Twin Cities, 65 degrees this hour. Um, normally I visit with uh, my friend Professor David Schultz. He's actually in Israel right now, so we are not going to visit with him. I guess it's probably what? What is it? Like it's the middle of not- the night in Israel or probably almost tomorrow morning in Israel. But uh, we will visit with him on what that was like next week here on the show. But I thought it would be worthwhile to look back at a story that I did this week that was actually a reflection of a series of stories, many, many, many stories uh, that consumed uh, many uh, reporters and journalists' time uh, on the tragic serial killings 20 years ago uh, that were committed by Andrew Cunanan, uh, who perhaps is best known and perhaps will be forever best known for killing Gianni Versace back in July of 2017. But what I think a lot of people don't remember is that that killing spree that took the lives of five innocent men began here in late April 20 years ago, here in the Twin Cities, in Minneapolis. Uh, The first two murders were both in Minnesota, first in Minneapolis in the warehouse district, and then in Chisago County. And as I said, I, I spent a great deal of time on this 20 years ago. And I covered the initial murders here and then ended up through a series of circumstances going to Chicago where the third murder took place and then ended up being on the road for about eight days because it was obvious that this psychopath, Andrew Cunanan, was going to strike again, and he did. And so I basically kind of went sort of all over the country, really, uh, sh- uh, Chicago, New York, uh, New Jersey. And then there was a lull of about two months until July, July 15th, when Johnny Versace was killed down, gunned down uh, on his steps in front of his remarkable mansion on the most sort of famous street in Miami South Beach, uh, which is uh, a remarkable place. And I, we went down there again with uh, – I, I went down there with a photojournalist and we spent some time immediately there, a number of days there, right after Versace was gunned down. And then we came back because the trail went cold. And then eight days after Gianna Versace's murder, Andrew Cunanan committed suicide. So I do think it's worth looking at because I think that there were some missteps in the investigation here in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, in the Twin Cities. I think it was all coming at the end uh, of the AIDS epidemic, and there were concerns about that. There were friends here who felt that those first two murders had not been properly investigated, and had they been, perhaps the others might not have happened. We don't know that. We don't know that. But I do think it's fair to say that the Minneapolis police and other police departments and other law enforcement, including the FBI, their ties to the gay community were certainly not what they are now. One would hope that, that, that some of the outreach that took place 
a little too late 20 years ago would happen much earlier. But it was a, a very tragic case. I think there was one that you know a lot of people learned a lot of things about. And so I wanted to start uh, by playing a story that I did uh, that aired on WCCO television on Wednesday night, a story where I actually put together, along with a great deal of help, I want to say with uh, producer Joan Gilbertson, also with our photojournalist Melissa March this time around, putting together a story that kind of combined parts of the stories from 20 years ago with parts of the story that we now know. Uh, So let's play that, um, and then we'll probably have to take a break. Uh, We'll take maybe some calls, some texts, and then um, coming at at the bottom of the hour after the weather break, we'll we'll, uh, talk to a woman who I interviewed then and now. She was actually the caretaker, uh, the woman who discovered the very first victim. And uh, again, I would like to get your thoughts on this, Uh, a look back at the killing spree of Andrew Cunanan. Right now, the story that aired on WCCO television Wednesday night. This is the travel bag that we believe Andrew Cunanan brought to Minneapolis when he arrived on April 25th. It's got his name on it. He brought his belongings in this. It's a chilling look at the handwriting of the mystery man from California, a man who looks different in every photograph and whose name is pronounced differently over the course of a three-month manhunt. It's a story that took me across the country in search of the killer. No one knows where Andrew Cunanan is right now. And everybody is afraid that he will strike again. Andrew Cunanan leaves his hometown of San Diego saying he has some business in Minneapolis. David Matson, a former lover and popular Minneapolis architect, picks him up at the airport Friday night. Cunanan stays with a mutual gay friend, Jeffrey Trail, seen here in a blonde wig with Cunanan. The three men end up at Matson's loft in the North Loop on Sunday night. On Monday, neither Jeffrey Trail or David Matson show up for work. On Tuesday, April 29th, friends are worried and call police. We knocked. Hello, hello, it's us. Lynn Elwell says they hear Matson's dog whispers inside. They leave without opening the door, but there's a feeling something's not right. They ask the manager to check a few hours later. I cracked the door and opened it, looked to my left and saw this, this thing wrapped in an, a rug that would appear to be a body. Jennifer Weiberg then and now. Well, there was blood all over. I remember seeing dark hair sticking out of the top of the carpet, later mentioning that it didn't look like David's hair. After some confusion about who in fact has been brutally beaten to death with a hammer, police identify the victim as Jeffrey Trail. It's from the moment of Jeffrey Trail's brutal murder that one of the most profound mysteries of Andrew Cunanan's bloody rampage begins. Investigators say Cunanan and Matson spend the next five days together, the first two of those days inside the apartment with Jeffrey Trail's decaying body. But they now believe that Matson was being held hostage with a gun Andrew Cunanan had stolen from Jeffrey Trail. It was a gun Cunanan would use in all the other murders. He was lying fought right here. On May 3rd, David Matson is found shot to death by a lake near Rush City in Chisago County. Andrew Cunanan is now a suspect in two murders. The next day, there is a third. The nationwide manhunt for Andrew Cunanan moves to the streets of the wealthy Gold Coast along Lake Michigan and Chicago. On Monday, May 4th, multimillionaire Lee Miglin is found shot and tortured in the garage of his townhome. Around the corner, police find a red Jeep Cherokee with Minnesota plates. 
The Jeep belongs to victim David Madsen. The search for Andrew Kuninen continues throughout the East Coast. Friends of his have been notified that he could be in their area. But exactly which city, exactly where, no one knows for sure. On May 9th, there's another victim. Now here in New Jersey, authorities let us this evening get a closer look at the murder scene that claimed the life of last night's victim. William Reese is a caretaker at a Civil War cemetery in New Jersey. Kunanen takes Reese's life for a new getaway car. He is now on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Investigators would later determine Kunanen is hiding in plain sight for the next two months in Miami South Beach. Then on July 15th, Versace is gunned down. Here in Miami, they are continuing to mourn the death of Gianni Versace, gathering in front of the home where he was gunned down yesterday. Across the street, the world media is gathered to cover the death and the suspect, Andrew Kuninen. This guy um, knows we're after him, and uh, he knows he's being sought, and uh, I don't know that he's... I think the end result's going to end up uh, either he's going to commit suicide or he's going to uh, end up in a shootout with the police. Lieutenant Dale Barsness is the head of homicide for Minneapolis police. His prediction turns out to be true. Eight days after the Versace murder, Cunanan commits suicide in a nearby houseboat. Twenty years later, Barsness is haunted by the question why. He definitely wanted to reestablish a relationship with uh, David Madsen. Lieutenant Barsness believes the killing spree was triggered when Cunanan, who had bought a one-way ticket to Minneapolis, was rejected by Madsen that weekend. Barsness thinks Cunanan became enraged, beating Trail to death and holding Matson captive. He was terrified of this guy, especially when he saw what he did to uh, Jeffrey Trail. Barsness insists law enforcement here and across the country did all they could at the time. I mean, I don't know what else we could have done. But friends of David Matson say there were early missteps in the investigation. Remember the black bag with Cunanan's name tagged? It was kind of embarrassing to me. Minneapolis Lieutenant Robert Titchich admits for days he hadn't bothered to look at the tag, never seeing it actually bear Andrew Cunanan's name. Investigators also missed a pair of bloody jeans. Apartment manager Jennifer Weiberg found them days later after police had processed the scene. At the time, I thought it was pretty pathetic. And then there is the moment early on when Matson went missing. His friends went to the loft with police but didn't enter over concerns officers would kill his beloved Dalmatian if it attacked. Convinced they heard whispers, they wonder if Matson and Cunanan were still there. Perhaps a missed opportunity to stop a serial killer's spree before it started. If the two officers and I had made a different decision, um, you know, we could have maybe saved David's life and uh, Lee's and William Reese's and Gianni Versace's, but uh, we'll never know that now. And that's, that's the hard part. 20 years later, we do know more about Andrew Cunanan. He was foremost a pathological liar, claiming to have been born to a wealthy family. In fact, his money came from older, often closeted gay men he dated. Among the questions that remain, why Lee Miglin in Chicago? Miglin's wife and family insist to this day Miglin did not know Cunanan. And why Versace? Well, many investigators say it could be this. Versace was everything Cunanan wasn't, a gay man with a loving partner, who was wealthy, successful, and brilliant, of course. And that, folks, was the story that uh, I did with the help of my colleagues, uh, Joan Gilbertson and Melissa Martz and a number of others uh, on Wednesday night on WCCO television. And I just wanted to kind of revisit that tonight and see if anybody had any questions or thoughts 
Um, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, my text line here is 81807. That's 81807. Uh, also, our phone line, 651-989-9226, uh, We're going to take your calls or your comments. I also can give you some additional thoughts after the break, and then we'll have to break for some weather. And then we'll, we'll talk with somebody who I uh, was kind enough uh, to let me interview her 20 years ago, and she was also kind enough to let me interview her uh, in 2017. And she was uh, the caretaker of that apartment building where the first victim, uh, Jeffrey Trail, was found. So we're going to take a break. Uh, again, if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts, uh, our text line here is 81807-651-989-9226, our phone numbers. So you're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. It's Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock, revisiting the killing spree of Andrew Cunanan, a serial murder case that started right here in the Twin Cities. Uh, your questions, your comments, uh, text me, 81807. That's 81807. Also, our phone line, 651-989-9226, 1-866-989-9226. Again, 651-989-9226. 1-866-989-9226. One of the things that's that's sort of fascinated me about this, having covered it 20 years ago and trying to revisit it now, is that it's getting so much more attention now than it did even 10 years ago. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's because there's a more of an interest in true crime stories. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. I mean, why uh, Dateline, NBC, did a, a two-hour special on this case uh, last Friday, I know that uh, 48 Hours, CBS's fabulous show, is doing a, a special on this. I also know that 2020 is doing that because they actually called me uh, to see if I if they could interview me. Um, I was actually interviewed almost 20 years ago for a show called Biography on this subject. Uh, again, the subject is the murder spree of Andrew Cunanan. So if you have any questions... 651-989-9226-1866-989-9226, our text line, 81807-81807. Uh, and we do have uh, some texts coming in. Uh, and actually, this is a very good point here that's coming in from the 763 area code. Um, there were many missteps by the authorities, not only in Minneapolis, but in Chicago with a Jeep with multiple tickets and Miami with the pawn shot receipt days before killing Versace. This person obviously knows this story pretty well, and what this individual is referring to is absolutely right. Um, after uh, David Madsen's body was found, David Madsen was a very popular, very successful uh, architect here in the Twin Cities. He was only 33 years old, and the investigator that I spoke with felt that the entire killing spree was really triggered, as you heard if you listen to that piece, uh, because Cunanan wanted to rekindle his romance with David Matson, and David Matson had moved on and had another boyfriend and was very happy with that. But after David Matson's uh, body was found uh, by a Chisago County lake, uh, the next day there was a very gruesome murder in Chicago, and the victim was a man called Lee Miglin, who was a very successful man in Chicago. His wife was also extremely successful, uh, Marilyn Miglin. She was a star really on the Home Shopping Network. If you can remember back then, he was an incredibly successful business person. 
And his body was found on May 4th. And two days later, right around the corner, they found David Matson's Jeep, which had been collecting parking tickets. So it had been literally parked around the corner with the Minnesota license plates and an I Love Vail sticker collecting parking tickets for a couple of days. And, and that was a misstep by Chicago police. Another misstep uh, was in actually Miami. Uh, six days before the murder of Johnny Versace, uh, Andrew Cunanan, and, uh, and it turns out later investigators were able to piece this together, that he actually spent two months and disappeared for two months hiding in plain sight in Miami, living in sort of this flea bag hotel, and he was going out to the nightclubs and everything like that. But six days before Johnny Versace's murder in July, Andrew Cunanan was running out of money, and he went and pawned a coin, a gold coin that he had stolen from Lee Miglin, and he gave his own name. It was under, he pawned it in his name, Andrew Cunanan, and they filled out the forms. I'm not sure how much he got for Lee Miglin's gold coin, but when you pawn something in Miami then, and I'm sure it's the case now, that paperwork goes immediately to the Miami police. And Andrew Cunanan at this point was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. So for at least six days before Johnny Versace's killing in South Beach, Miami police had this pawn information saying that Andrew Cunanan, I think he even put down the hotel he was staying at. They had all his information and he used his real name. He used some aliases, but he had it. So for six days the Miami police actually had information that Andrew Cunanan was right there. And they didn't figure it out until after, until after, tragically, Johnny Versace was murdered. So I think that that's, um, I do think that that's something that, that was a misstep. And also another another thing that, that, that people do point out is that one of the logical places for him to go was South Beach, which has obviously a, a huge gay population, and they didn't put any of the posters up. Apparently the FBI had hundreds and hundreds and thousands thousands of posters, you know, with Andrew Cunanan's picture on it and saying he was on the 10 most wanted list, but they didn't put these posters in any of the nightclubs in Miami, which was just sort of a logical place for him to have tried to go. It's one of the places that they were looking at because – Gay communities all around the country were extremely, uh, very much on the lookout. Uh, we are getting, um, uh, we are getting some other texts as well, and I'll take a look at those. Um, uh, but we do have to take a break because we want to give you some weather. <laughs> we care about the weather, and then after the weather, when we come back, um, we're going to visit with one of the people that I talked to twenty years ago who, like me, has really thought about this uh, for a long time. And the murders here were were so tragic. And I know that a lot of the people who were close to those who were the victims here, I think were were troubled that their murders only seemed to become an enormous deal in the aftermath of these higher-profile murders in Chicago and, of course, later with the murder of Johnny Versace. So we are going to take a break, a continued look back uh, at the murder spree 20 years ago that began here in the Twin Cities that ended with the death of Johnny Versace and then eight days after that, the suicide of Andrew Cunanan. 
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 8.34 in the Twin Cities. Looking back at the horrible serial killings that began here 20 years ago uh, with the death of two very, very wonderful individuals, uh, David Masson and Jeffrey Trail, here in the Twin Cities, and then uh, ended with the death of Johnny Versace uh, in July, July 15th of, tw- of 1997, eight days later, Andrew Cunanan would take his own life. And back then, it, it's difficult to really, as I look back on this whole thing, it's difficult to try and capture, as I tried to do in the story that aired Wednesday night, is the fear, especially in, in the gay communities, about where this person would strike next. I think part of it had to do with the fact that he had this ability to almost look different in every image and every picture that he took. And it was um, it was a very difficult time. And there were some people who were kind enough uh, to talk to us 20 years ago. And there were a few people that were kind enough to talk to us not only 20 years ago, but this time as well. And one of those is Jennifer Weiberg, who was the caretaker uh, of the apartment building where David Matson lived and who actually had the misfortune to find that, that very first victim. And, Jennifer, I just want to thank you so much for coming on tonight and, and being willing to um, share your perspective once again 20 years later. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, Jennifer, I know that, that you know, I think one of the things that struck me in, in trying to put the story together, and I don't think I quite captured it, is just you knew David Matson, who was this wonderful man, um, and it was you were the caretaker in his apartment building, and Lieutenant Barsis in the story that I did really believes, and others do too, that Andrew Cunanan was trying to reignite this romance with David Matson. David Matson was really a wonderful person, uh, and and you knew him. Tell us about David Matson, and and it was a guy who just had a million friends, wasn't he? Um, he did. And, of course, I knew him uh, in my role as caretaker. I mean, he was a tenant in the building. So I did not really go out socially with him, but I knew him from socializing within our community. There were parties at the building that I was at and David was at, and I got to know him pretty well and understand that he had a great sense of humor. He was very charming, a good dancer. (laughs) And, um, yeah, just just a fun guy. Right. And also, of course, very driven, very successful. So. Right. And he, he was only 33 years old. I know that, that the weekend that Andrew Cunanan came here, and I didn't, we didn't have a chance to put this here, and there were a number of, of, of David Matson's friends who met Andrew Cunanan that weekend that he came here, the weekend of the first murder. Mm-hmm. And, and you actually kind of had a run-in with him, and your story is, is kind of mirrors – a lot of other people's as well. What was your reaction when you met him? And can you kind of sort of set that up? Um, Well, I met him. David introduced me. They were coming into the building where David lived. I was um, getting ready to go up to get on the elevator and go up to one of the floors. And Andrew got on with me after David introduced him. And Andrew basically just went blank. He wouldn't talk. I tried to make some small talk, just try to engage him, and he had wanted no part of it. He was, I would say, um, almost rude. And then as he got off the elevator on the fourth floor, just turned around, gave me a dirty look, and started walking away. So that was my, that was my encounter. 
Well, and I think that the people, um, I know a number of David Madsen's friends went out to dinner with him and, and Andrew Cunanan and David um, that weekend, and uh, the rudeness apparently came through loud and clear, and I think a lot of people were uh, upset with that. Uh, you know, I think for a number, there were a number of things that happened, but basically David Madsen and Jeffrey Trail didn't didn't come go to work, you know, uh, Cunanan had come here for the weekend, uh, Madsen and Trail don't show up for work, and obviously their friends are frantic. Jeffrey Trail's boyfriend is frantic. Uh, they they try and go look for them. Um, you know, we kind of revisited in the story I did that that David Madsen's friends actually came to to the uh, loft department twice looking for him on that Tuesday when he'd been out of work for two days, and then they leave you a note to go um, check on him that Tuesday night. What was that like for you? And, and how did you decide to try and go in and look at this apartment? I think it was actually a, a voicemail that I, I... There were two people maybe that had left voicemail uh, messages saying that David... That they were concerned about David, so please go, if you would, go and check inside his apartment. So I, I took a neighbor with me who was a a good friend, actually, and a trusted friend of David's as well. And we went down to his apartment and knocked several times. We could hear the dog inside, and um, but got no response. So finally just opened the door and put my head inside. And as they say, the rest is history, right? right. Well, you saw what was obviously a... a uh... I, I saw a body wrapped in, in a carpet and trust me, it was a very brief look. I did not leave the door open very long. Um, honestly, Esme, I think I said something about seeing dark hair. Thinking back, I, I don't know that I did. I, I think my after we sh- we grabbed the dog, shut the door, and locked it, and went back to my place to call nine one one. My take on it was that the 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 bot. It looked too large to be David. As as I was discussing it with my friend, it was like, "Oh, that's David," and I said it was. Well, it was his was apartment, which is David. yeah. Yeah, but the package just looked. The rug rolled up. David was not a large man, but it just seemed to be somebody that was would have been taller and larger built than David. And you know, and that's just a. It, trust me, our thoughts were. Ru- you know, running wild at that point, and um, anyway, that's... well, obviously, obviously, I mean, a, a shocking and horrifying situation. And you know, I think one of the things that I think troubled people who did know David is that police began to think that when they discovered that it was not David, that it was Jeffrey Trail, so the mutual friend. They began to like consider David Matson a suspect. Of course, David Matson's found four days later, and I think that there was a, gr- a group of people who knew David Madsen who say there is just no way he at all he could ever ever be involved in a murder that is it's yes I, it's Sergeant Titchett came um, into my place because they the police stayed in contact throughout the evening and before they left he said David he, he did say that David was the prime suspect at that point and um, because 
they were able to determine that it wasn't Jeffrey Trail. And, and of course, my, my memory, 20 years, I'm saying that that was before they left. I don't know exactly when that happened, right. but I do know that he said David was the prime suspect. Um, and it was just chilling to hear. And, of course, it, it, it was not... It, it it was not plausible to the people that knew him, and so immediately the fear was that he was being held against his will. Which which is what investigators... Andrew, yeah. Right. Which and is now and a, yeah. so that was the information that we tried to share. No, we, the, you know, Andrew, the, this is the man that you have, must find, and you should should know that that he's probably, you know, somehow endangering David, but and, and, and that and, happened. Yeah, and, 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 you know, that was the view that, that was there. And I think that that's why I think so many um, of David Matson's friends 20 years ago were so forthcoming because I think it, it, it troubled them profoundly that there was any suggestion that David Matson would have done anything wrong. And, it, and, and when... Yes. And when I talked to the head investigator or the, chief, the head of homicide, who was then the head of homicide, you know, in 2017, just a few weeks ago, he said that, that he is personally convinced now that, that, that David Matson was being held hostage. And, of course, a few days later, David Matson is found uh, murdered. And mm-hmm. it's just um, – it, it is uh, – you know, looking back on it, even the way um, – it just, it just was deeply um, – very it's, sad. Right. It, it's almost beyond words is what it is. It, it's hard to even describe the feeling um, to have that, to be in the situation where somebody is telling you a, a person, a trusted person has is the suspect of a horrible crime. And it kind of lets us know how we're all vulnerable in that sense, and that that you know, there's how do we protect ourselves from this misinformation of of who we are or what we could do? I mean, it was if that makes any sense the well, way I said it. But, yeah, and I think yeah. it does. And I think one of the things that you know, I didn't. I, I think one of the things that, as I covered this twenty years ago, that that came pretty clear is I think that there was a feeling, especially amongst um, you know leaders and. and of the gay community here and across the country is that those initial murders perhaps didn't get the the, the in-depth look that they would have today and that there weren't the connections. Uh, Yes. I mean, they were, they were everything in terms of what happened. As far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, I see whatever emotional mental break happened, happened because of what happened in Minneapolis. I mean, I just don't see that. And I know it's been suggested that Andrew Cunanan was looking for fame and he went to Miami and killed Gianni Versace. But I think that all happened as a result of what right. happened in Minneapolis and and in by Rush Lake. Um, had... Had... Andrew had that in mind. I mean, I don't know why he would have stopped here and, and done the things that he had done. So it, logically, to me, he became unhinged 
what he wanted to happen didn't happen. The, and I've said this before, the Chicago murder, is that that's very baffling and, and very terrifying, too, what happened there. But wasn't there some um, mention of the name Miglin that Andrew knew somebody that he was going to go well, into business yeah. with? Yeah, well, that is that is one. And I think that, the, you know, CBS 48 Hours is doing a, a big piece that they've been working on. I mean, what, one of the mysteries here, obviously, uh, Andrew Cunanan, I think he loved David Matson and wanted David Matson back. That's what, what the police say. He also knew Jeffrey Trail. I think he was enraged at that point. You know, investigators here believe that he became enraged. And Trail shows up at the apartment, and he, he kills Looking him. Looking for his gun, maybe. Looking for his gun, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, but but uh, the Lee Miglin murder in Chicago. Lee Miglin was a huge name. I mean, a, he was a very prominent businessman. And he lived in what's known as Chicago's Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really, really fancy area of townhomes, if it, people were familiar with Chicago. And it does stretch credibility to think that he just happened upon mm-hmm. this one townhome by happenstance. Uh, on the weekend when Lee Miglin's wife, who was extremely well-known, she's a very famous woman, Especially back in in, in this time, mm-hmm. happened to be on a two day stint for you know broadcasting for the Home Shopping ne- Network. I believe she was in in, in Canada all weekend. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think there are a lot of questions that were raised um, about that and still have been raised. I mean, really, was this completely random? Um, it was interesting because I did ask Lieutenant Varsness, who was the former head of homicide, about that exact question, and Lieutenant Varsness comment back was Chicago police were always extremely tight-lipped about that case right? um, because he was so prominent. I remember being in Chicago after Mr. Miglin's murder, and I remember the cardinal was calling about the case, uh, you know, to to, to police. I mean, Mm -hmm. he he was sort of that big a deal. So the suggestion um, that, uh, but that's all, and, and there were, People in San Diego who said that um, Cunanan did know at least Duke Miglin, who was the son of Lee Miglin. Lee Miglin's family has denied to this day that there was any connection between uh, Andrew Cunanan and either Lee Miglin or Duke Miglin or the Miglin family. You know, investigators were able to determine that Andrew Cunanan spent, I think, about a day inside. Mr. Right. Miglin's that's home. why that that story, that whole timeline there is 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 I think very terrifying as to what Andrew Cunanan's state of mind is because I mean I believe he was preparing food and he was you know he was torturing yes. and um, ultimately killing Lee Migland and. It, you know, doing a random act like that to an unknown per- well, doing yeah. it to anyone, of course, is horrible. But, you know, that if you would have just picked someone randomly to commit that crime, that's, that's, that's you know, that puts him in a category that, that is pretty hard to um, understand. So, Absolutely. You know, it's it's... Somehow we can. I can see a crime of passion. Um, uh, uh, Jeff Trail, crime of passion, huge argument. Give me my gun. No, you know, pick up a weapon and and just st- 
start start meeting him. Um, David, I can see th- they said he had a, a a wound to his hand, which I think was called a self-defensive self-defense or something. Let me ask you, Jennifer, when this started unfolding, were you folks in in the lofts where this first, where the first body was discovered, were you worried he might come back? Oh, absolutely. Um, Especially, especially after the news from Chicago. Um, I, I remember calling the detective and, and, and confirming, yes, they, that, that Andrew Cunanan had been, um, in Chicago, did commit that crime, and and um, asking it, should we be concerned? Should we be posting, putting up posters? You know, be on the extra lookout. And he said, no, he's got no reason to come back there. Um, and then he said, but you did change the locks, didn't you? And of course, we had changed all the building locks at that point. But no, we were very concerned. I, I had an almost phobia for several weeks in which every time I was waiting for the elevator and the doors would open up, I would see his face there. And of course, there was no one there. I would just kind right. of momentarily well, go, I, whoa. Yeah. yeah, well, I think the fear is something that, that I mean, it was so... Um you know, it, for three months when this man just, nobody could find Where him. Where was he? Where right. was he? And it was just, it was very, very, very frightening. And so many people were so terrified. And it was, yeah, yes, there were missteps, but, you know, it, it's it, that's, I think, hindsight. But it was just a very scary time. And I think that, that you know, the, the cases here are very, very sad because these men, you know, Jeffrey Trail and David Manson, um, you know, were very loved here and, and were wonderful guys, you know, handsome, attractive, great guys, and they didn't, none of these victims deserved it, and it's... Um... No, and and the fact that, that you know, that these were two people that Andrew supposedly cared about in his life, so, you know, that that's why it's so hard to understand the motive, um, well, you, you know, to take something to that level is right. very hard to understand, um, and... And there is no way to understand it, I guess, except to go back and try and dissect Andrew's life up to that point. But I personally, I I don't come up with any satisfying answers from any of those stories. Well, I don't think anybody has any of those. But anyway, Jennifer, I really wanted to thank you um, for, you know, being willing to talk to me 20 years ago and again and again here. Um, I appreciate it because it was something that really a lot of people... It was a traumatic event for a lot of people, certainly you, and, and so many people were so scared here and across the country. Um, yes, yes. It was terrifying. So thank you so much. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, thank you, Esme. All right, take care. That was Jennifer Weiberg. You know, I, I think um, Lieutenant Dale Barsness, uh, who was the head of Homicide, who I interviewed, said he thought at the end of the day um, the murders were triggered because Andrew Cunanan was just enraged. Uh, he basically said, Senator Parsons told me five men died that spring and summer because of the selfishness of one man, Andrew Cunanan, who was enraged because he couldn't get David Matson back. And I, I do think there were other factors in it, but I do think that that triggered it, uh, which is a very sad thing indeed. Well, anyway, folks, we are going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, some final thoughts. Thanks for listening. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO.
It is 8.56, almost 8.57 here in the Twin Cities, 65 degrees. Um, we have been talking this hour about Andrew Cunanan. and I, I do want to just give a shout-out to the people that helped me 20 years ago. Uh, there were two photojournalists, Nancy Suhu and also Joe Mears, that I really went all across the country with. And then this time around, I really want to give a shout-out to the producer. I normally don't get to work with a producer uh, for TV and on a story, and I really needed the help because it was difficult to really attempt to do this, um, the full horror of this justice. And so Joan Gilberson was great, and our photojournalist, Melissa Martz, was really, really uh, wonderful to work with. And a very sad deal, and I think it's interesting just chatting in the break with Kevin Reed, our uh, studio coordinator. It's interesting that on this 20th anniversary, um, Dateline did a two-hour special, I think, 48 Hours is doing, I think, what may be a lengthy, more than an hour story. I know that 2020, because they talked to me, is doing at least a two-hour special. Uh, FX, which did the show on OJ, which got all the awards, they're doing this as a series next year. So a lot of interest in that story, but really a very, very sad and tragic one. I do want to thank uh, the producer of this show, Susan Blanche, and... uh, for doing such a great job of setting this up. I want to thank Jonathan Lowe and Kevin Reed, uh, our studio coordinators. I do want to say please tune in to WCCO Sunday morning, uh, 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m. We will have all the latest news at 10.30 a.m. Al Franken, Senator Al Franken, is live, as is the new Republican Party chair, Jennifer Carnahan. Please tune in. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. 